This is an audio recording of the Lendit Fintech Weekly News Show. The show is streamed live on Lendit TV, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Twitter at 5 p.m. Eastern Time every Thursday. In this fast-paced show, the Lendit News team and a special guest discuss the most important fintech news stories of the past week. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another Lendit Fintech Weekly News Show. My name is Peter Renton, Chairman and Co-Founder of Lendit Fintech, and joining me as always, Todd Anderson. How are you doing, Todd? I'm good, Peter. How are you? I'm doing great. And also today, in the room next door to Todd, in uh, (laughs) our New York office, is Kevin Travers. How are you doing, Kevin? Great. Happy to be back. Right. Back for the second time. And of course, I am, as always, in my studio here in Denver, Colorado. So let's get right into it. Um, first story I want to talk about today is Coinbase. Coinbase finally um, uh, released their NFT platform in limited release, shall we say. Um, they announced it six months ago, knew it was coming. Um, they've, they've released a lot more details uh, of it and uh, it, looks, uh, it looks pretty good. I mean, basically, it only works with Ethereum, NFT, Ethereum-based NFTs right now, um, which is the most, most NFTs. Um, you have at least all like OpenSea, I think, is a, is a similar sort of uh, system. But um, you can use your Coinbase wallet. You can use other self-custody wallets. It's, um, it's a pretty, uh, pretty interesting thing. What do you guys think? I mean, it's a natural evolution of Coinbase's, um, you know, ecosystem. They're just going to keep building and building and building. They're arguably the behemoth uh, in the space. Um, obviously, FTX uh, is, um, you know, probably, um, you know, up there in terms of on their way to being on par with with Coinbase. They're not there yet, um, but. Uh, I think the the interesting part to me long term is you're going to have a bunch of NFT um, you know marketplaces and platforms. Eventually, there'll there'll be this compression of fees like we've seen in trading, like we've seen mm-hmm. in other uh, markets, um, and kind of what what will end up happening. Um, I don't think we know right now. There's lots of different fees in crypto depending on what you know, blockchain you're using and uh, what asset you're trying to trade. But uh, over um, the long term, there'll be this compression of fees and what that might mean to a lot of these business models, because there is a lot of money being made on fees right now. And you would think just like in the trading world, that those are going to start to creep downwards when we get to say three, five years from now when things are kind of in a more regulated, stable place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Kevin, are you going to move your uh, NFTs over to Coinbase? Your, I sure your hope collection? so. I, mean, I, I signed up for the launch, um, the whitelist. Uh, I'm in position of 220,000. <laughs> That's actually uh, pretty good. In front of the line, I signed up the day that it launched yeah. and I'm still there. So I'm looking forward to the full launch. I know it's open to um, just a handful of creators to sort of test it out. Um, I'm hoping, I don't know, looking at what OpenSea did and creating like a decentralized online, like eBay basically, but it doesn't have servers and it doesn't have uh, 
to pay credit card fees or anything like that. It's going to be cool to see who is the next to capture that sort of windfall of cash that they got. Um, but ever since Coinbase went public, it's like they've been slow to react because even today it's, it's still not a launched NFT platform. So either it's harder than we think to catch that lightning or um, maybe that's just what it's like to be a public company and having to move slow after sort of being the forefront, as Todd said, of the crypto industry for so long. Yeah, I'm sure they saw it open seeded and they thought, oh my goodness, we should have done that. But they didn't, <laughs> did they? <laughs> well, not, not yet at least. Yeah. Anyway, let's move on to Robinhood. Um, Robinhood is is making an acquisition. Zigloo is the name of this company. This is uh, uh, in the UK. So Robinhood is expanding to the UK. They tried to expand to the UK a couple of years ago and then abandoned their plans. Looks like they're back. They've acquired a crypto platform. So this is a it's a pretty small platform. In the last valuation was eighty five million pounds. They've raised seventeen and a half million pounds. So maybe. Maybe Robinhood bought them for a couple hundred million dollars, something like that. But um, it gives them a foothold into the UK market. And, uh, and you know, it seems like, you know, obviously this is not a platform that trades stocks or anything else other than the, I think, 11 cryptocurrencies they have right now. So pretty small kind of play. But, you know, Robinhood's just, I guess, deciding that um, they need to get serious about international expansion. I think reading the story, the thing that struck me was this is one of, I think, the only or one of a few crypto-regulated platforms through the FCA. Yeah, yeah, no, the third, this I is, believe. This is essentially an acquisition of an FCA-regulated platform mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, Robinhood has had a lot of issues with regulators in the past. Uh, in this country, and, yes. <laughs> yeah, I, and in general, I'm sure regulators around the world have have kept an eye on on kind of what's going on with them. And uh, it's no surprise that the acquisition they make it's not a huge splashy acquisition, but it does that that caveat with it. Um, and so maybe they thought, hey, we've had issues trying to expand globally. Let's do it through an acquisition and an acquisition that already has the FCA stamp of approval yep. and then see where we can go from there. It's a lot like, I think um, a, a FinTech brand buying a bank that already has some sort of license in the U S we see that a bunch and it sort of feels like that as like a, a small step and a cheap step, frankly, Robinhood's last funding round before they went public was like a billion dollars and their series H or like W <laughs> or something. Or, so it, it's not, whatever they picked it up for isn't a huge trump of change. But again, it's like the same thing with Coinbase where I see like a public company that uh, splashed big in retail investing before uh, and then suddenly regulators and people took notice and then they had to pull back. Um, I don't know. It's going to be cool to see if it works. It it feels like they should have jumped towards crypto sooner. It feels like they should be going NFTs like Coinbase is. Like they already offer some sort of crypto trading. They already offer a wallet recently. Um, But it'll be cool to see, I guess, where it goes from here. Yeah, yeah, well, and okay. Europe, the the Europe and UK as a whole is the largest crypto community by volume, I believe, in the world. It's about twenty five percent of the world's trading crypto trading volume, if if I'm correct there with my hmm. numbers. Uh, and so I think Robinhood probably sees two things: one, a regulated FCA platform, which gives them an in to the UK and maybe to Europe next, uh, and better access to the European community as a whole. Uh, and while Europe and, 
the UK are separate, it's, it's very much, you know, the umbrella is, um, you know, not that far off from having both uh, underneath it. Yep. Yep. Okay. Moving on. Our next story. I love this story. It's <laughs> so uh, SBF, the CEO of FTX, Sam Bankman-Fried, he, uh, he met with David Solomon, who's the CEO of Goldman Sachs in the Caribbean right, just uh, this week. And I'm sure they both flew one on their private jet and uh, had cocktails on the beach or something. But that's how, I, that's how, it, that's how it works in my mind anyway. And maybe D sold uh, his DJ uh, <laughs> alter ego, put on a show yeah. as well. Maybe he brought his deck and was, uh, was doing a little show. Um, but uh, so Goldman, it's interesting. You Obviously, Goldman, they want to do the IPO. I mean, FTX is worth $32 billion in their last funding round. This is a big company. Um, valuation-wise, even though they only began three years ago, they're still really uh, a decent size. And Goldman want that business for the IPO, so there's that piece. Goldman also want to provide banking services, they said, and uh, you know, providing uh, advice for maneuvering around, uh, maneuvering um, not around, but how to uh, talk with U.S. regulators, which I'm sure David Solomon knows. Far, far more than uh, SBF um, has any clue about. But, um, you know, it's uh, it's just uh, fascinating. you got this new guy, like, he's 30 years old. He's a multi-billionaire. He moved from Hong Kong to the Bahamas, <laughs> his, his business. And now he's got David Solomon flying in on a private jet to meet with him. So I'd love to be a fly on the wall. Like, we can help you raise money. Yeah, I don't need there. Yeah. We can help you go public. Yeah, I'm okay. <laughs> We can help you with regulators. Well, maybe I'll take you up on that one. Yeah, it's if like, they should, because that's one know, thing that really had zero problems raising money. Yeah. Um, you know, he's built a business in in no short. Uh, you know, arguably the fastest that we've seen go to thirty two billion. That's at least that that I can remember off the top of my head. Uh, and then, yeah, of course, you have Goldman kind of swoop in and go, "Hey, you know, we're here for you." Uh, type pitch, which I, I think is funny. Um, it, it'd be curious up to see they they end up doing something. I mean, the the regulator aspect is really the the one I see on the face of it that seems most interesting. You know, because FTX has the FTX brand, then they have FTX FTX dot US, uh, which is significantly smaller than the broader FTX band, uh, brand. So maybe there's some level of uh, partnership there. To build up the .us one, I, I don't know, but either way, it's just a fascinating article. Mm-hmm. It's cool. It would be cool to be there and see what that conversation could even be like. Like the nutty professor tech. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's thirty, but he seems like the Mark Zuckerberg of crypto. Even though Zuckerberg was much younger when he was building Facebook, um, but this is a guy that has Tom Brady in his commercials, and he has an FTX arena where I think what the Miami Heat play there. He's like this giant mogul, but he doesn't have the traditional like banking know-how that a brand like, I mean, a giant like Goldman Sachs does. And so, I, I mean, I can't imagine what else they would be asking for, but like the blessing of this like banking giant, right? Like uh, this is how you get past, this is how you make it cool with the SEC. This is how you get banking licenses. Cause who knows if they're even going public anytime soon after the performance of. I certainly don't need to right yeah, now. Like, the money is just flowing, but I'm hope I'm hopeful that David Solomon also asked SPF a lot of questions. And I imagine he probably did. He's a smart guy. He knows what he doesn't know. But SBF knows far more than David Solomon will ever know, I think, about crypto. And uh, and so that's something that, uh, as I said, I mean, it's, it's – it's- uh, But I, I do think it does – and the article, I think the Coindesk article that I read about this mentions it. 
it's just another stamp of approval that traditional FIs are looking, and, and even conservative ones, um, are looking at crypto and saying, how do we get involved? How do we learn? How do we become part of the movement, <clears throat> but yet in a regulated way? Yep, yep. Okay, next story is... Um, this, this, I didn't know about this. I, this is, this was new information. Apparently, they've been, they've been around for a little while in stealth mode. But William Hockey, who was one of the co-founders of Plaid, he left in 2019. I'm sure he still has a big chunk of stock. They say he's a billionaire. And last time, Plaid was valued at 13 plus billion. So he probably he could have 10% of the company still. And um, I hope you know he's hopefully he hasn't sold a whole lot. But anyway, he's. He's created a company. It's called. They're calling it. He's calling it a financial infrastructure bank. It's called Column, um, which I'd, I'd never heard of. And they just came out of stealth. To, I think it was today or yesterday. It was um, this week, anyway. And you know, he, they've what they they're providing. It looks like a cross river bank type model, like a, a newer kind of a you know like a faster, you know, more agile. I shouldn't say that because I think cross river bank are actually. They, they do a pretty good job, but they are basically saying fintechs can partner with us and launch any pretty much any product they want, um, and it's all like developer friendly, very much focused on that. And uh, it's you know another. I mean, it's an interesting company. Like interesting company, banking as a service is hot, and uh, they are really you know they've, they they have a banking license. They bought, they acquired a California community bank last year for $50 million. So they have a banking license and that's what surprised me. I thought, how can a new bank launch? Yeah. I've heard of this company. Yes, they've got the, a banking license. The article, to be honest, felt a little misleading when you read Absolutely. it because it was giving the impression that they built this thing from scratch. <laughs> when in reality, they did exactly what lending club and SoFi did. Right. They purchased a, a bank um, and now they've created a new financial infrastructure to that bank, or maybe they created it by itself and just used the bank charter, um, you know, to, to become compliant. But, um, you know, reading it to begin with is like, wow, they did all this new, like how long have they been in stealth mode thinking back to like what current did by building their own, right. um, you know, their own core. But, uh, th this is, I think this trend is going to be one that we're going to see more of, which is, you know, fintechs need to figure out ways to diversify their revenue. Um, so if I did it through two acquisitions, the bank and uh, actually three, the bank Galileo now Technosis, um, lending club did it through uh, radius bank. Um, Column has done it through this community bank. And now they're going to become, um, you know, a, clearly a, a, a force to at least, be reckoned with in, in some way. And you have, you know, cross river who's, who's on the bleeding edge as well. And, and you'll probably see others. So I think it's part of a wider trend, uh, a little misleading in the way they presented the article though. Mm -hmm. I, I totally agree. When you read that they have, they come out of stealth mode, they have 60 employees, they built this whole thing, but then you figure out that he just sort of went down to the like candy store and bought, you know, a community bank for 50 million people have done that before. And in the case of other major fintech or neo banks like Lending Club SoFi, they had a huge, I mean, billion dollars organizations before they even bought their bank just for the regulatory licenses and just to expand their products. It feels like it's like a fintech bank by way of SPAC or, or something, except regulatory wise. They bought 
this uh, title. So now they are claiming that they are this out of a stealth bank, but I, it feels like they don't have partners yet at all. It sort no, of came they, like they, they, if you look, if you look at the TechCrunch article, they did have, um, a few, I mean, obviously, Plaid's connected to every single bank and fintech in the in the country. The part I, I think is is probably most interesting is are they looking to remove the abstraction layers, the Sinkteras of the world, those types of companies, because those act as basically an intermediary between community bank and X partner. Yeah. Um, and if you just work with column, do you need an abstraction layer? Which no, I think that's doesn't the whole sound point. like that's the, mm -hmm. so there's their value prop is why go this route, which just complicates your stack. If you can come to us and we can make it simplified. Yeah. They're saying you don't need a sync Terra. You don't need a modern treasury. You don't need a, a seal of money. And I'm just looking at the TechCrunch article. And they do say they actually have customers right now. They're working with Brex. They obviously have Plaid as a customer, hmm. Brex, um, Oxygen, and near side, which I've never heard of, um, but um, that's a new one. So they are they are working. Um, they, they they like they've been they they you know what I think they've done is they've they they've got a you need a banking license for all these fintechs need to have need to work with a bank that that in some, of some sort to get the, to get the banking license so they can lend money or take deposits or what have you, and so they need that. And rather than you know, but what they've done, it looks to me like they're they're creating like this whole you know developer friendly atmosphere. It's like Stripe kind of did when they first launched. Like you can, here's our here's our SDK. Go and create whatever you want, and we'll we'll help uh, we'll we'll help sort of process it. That's kind of what it feels like uh, to me. And I think it's probably what uh, Gilles would have done at Cross River if he was starting it now instead of back in two thousand and yeah, probably. I mean, he he helped build and start Plaid, so he's clearly got a reputation uh, for even the TechCrunch misspells his name. Yes, they did. <laughs> they did that. Yes. Okay, moving on. Um, this, to I me, mean, we've seen a lot of crypto credit cards launch this year, and this to me has been the most interesting one. Uh, Nexo, um, which is really a, a you know there are. I mean, I don't know exactly how to describe them. They're uh, they're a crypto. They have a crypto. They have a crypto token called Nexo, um, and it's Nexo.io. So they're sort of a, um, are they a marketplace for crypto? I presume that's what they are, but um, I should really know exactly what they are. But anyway, they've got a credit card now. This is launched in the in Europe, where because um, like you have if you have your crypto with Nexo, like in in on their you know custody at Nexo. Then you can spend. Um, you basically can get a credit limit. So, say you put, you know, say ten thousand dollars worth of um, worth of crypto with Nexo. You can you can then create. You can get a credit line up for up to ninety percent of the value. So you just deposit that with Nexo. You got a you get a crypto. Uh, it's it's a it's um, sort of like almost like a secured credit card in some ways. Um, ninety percent of the value of the crypto. Um, but it's what's really cool is that. If you actually over collateralize, like with uh, I think it was five x times the collateral, then you pay no zero percent interest with no minimum monthly payment, which I thought was uh, interesting. So it's uh, you know it's basically a, a credit card, you know, secured credit card backed by crypto, 
but you get to spend. It's not spending crypto as you go, mm. like some of the other credit cards are. It's it's really it's just a, a regular credit card that you pay off with crypto. They, you know, um, build themselves as the world's largest and most trusted lending institution in the digital finance industry. Hmm. So they're primarily lenders. They, um, they, according to their website, uh, manage assets for 4 million users across 200 jurisdictions. Wow. Um, That's every country in the world. Yeah, yeah pretty much. <laughs> I mean, the, the most interesting part is the um, you don't have like a lot of crypto related credit cards sell your crypto. Uh, right. This one doesn't. Uh, and so it's just hold uh, or hodl, hodl. Uh, as they might say, <laughs> while you spend. And so, um, you know, this gives, um, you know, those in the crypto space the ability to, you know, basically take a credit line uh, against their crypto and, and not have to sell it. Uh, and so it's a innovative. Product. I think you'll see more stuff like this. Um, and you know, those that are crypto enthusiasts don't want to get rid of their crypto. Uh, and so this is the, the option that, uh, allows them to keep their, their, uh, assets. Um, so it's, you know, plays right into the, the enthusiast. Uh, and, uh, I believe we've had Nexo, uh, the CEO, Anthony, um, speak at our European event back in 2018, I believe. Got, got a good memory. Yeah, Antonin Trenchev, I believe his name is. So they've been lending, I guess, like this for a while, but this is the first time it's collateralized in or underwritten in this type of way. And it is that is what I was going to say. It is so cool that you don't need to sell your crypto. You can just use it as uh, collateral to, to spend in whatever your, I guess, regional currency would be. Like, I guess you're spending it in U.S. dollars. That's cool, uh, especially if you have like – Two hundred thousand dollars, or uh, or whatever, in Bitcoin, Ethereum. Imagine being able to use ninety percent of that in, or five times that in. Uh, I mean, that that's pretty cool for people that are crypto enthusiasts and want to hold on to it. I wouldn't be personally like when it ter- on terms of like a credit product. I wouldn't be personally comfortable with spending ninety percent of my credit allowance and then only spending like a small minimum on it. I'm not comfortable unless the whole minimum is gone. Right. Um, so it's sort of like a much different product than I would be used to, but maybe people who are crypto hundred percent or crypto maxis would really appreciate something like that. Yep. I think that's who they're going after for sure. Okay. Moving on. This is a, this um, was an article front page of the wall street journal this week. It really caught my eye. Cutting edge crypto coins tout stability. Critics call them dangerous. This is all about stable coins and particularly algorithmic stable coins. And I, yeah, this is complex, and I, I love Matt Levine had had a um, news one of his columns this week on Bloomberg. He wrote, he wrote, I love his writing style, and he just sort of he basically said because he took he looked he looked at the at ter- like the Luna coin is going nuts, um, and uh, the Terra stable coin, which is interplayed with that. So you basically, if you read Matt Levine's piece, he has a great thing about um, how it's just. Uh, not it, it's inherently not stable and that's you know and i, I tried listen to a bankless podcast over the weekend with the guy from frax it i still didn't understand it very much but basically the it's algorithmic stable coins uses algorithms to keep the balance to one dollar us and so they're, they're and it's basically all about you know 
two coins like there's Terra and Luna, and they're both being kind of um, you sold or, or, or bought to keep the the balance at a dollar. And uh, you know, it's it's the, the 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 people that tout it think that it's a far better system um, because it's 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 not it's it's done with with you know with smart contracts rather than than just with backing it with other types of currencies but i don't know i feel like for me i like if, if you're going to have a have something that's asset backed i'd like it to be backed with something that's worth that's inherently worth some worth you know like treasuries or something that has real value this sounds also a lot like what sbf was talking about with um did that event with a rod um yeah was talking about um i forget exactly what it was uh, it wasn't trading. It was, I forget. I think it was but a, basically um, that, that, uh, the, the, the CFTC thing. It was a CFTC yeah, thing. The algorithmic, uh, way is safer because as long as the rules are set correctly, it will always sell when something reaches a certain trigger point. Uh, and so that is the theory with it. Um, you know, the other, I guess, worry is, um, in, in this or any other algorithm thing is, is hacks and what'll happen if someone hacks into the algorithm or if the algorithm is poorly constructed or someone screws up something, then does that, how much systemic risk enters the system unbeknownst to someone or quickly, uh, and, does the stopgap of a human involved help some of this? I mean, I, I I agree with your premise, Peter, with the the treasuries and whatnot, but I think we're still a little ways away from everyone getting comfortable with this. Um, I think we're on a path to it eventually with probably some safeguards in place with humans, but um, I think we're still, we still got a little bit of, as Bo would say, wood to chop here. (laughs) I think uh, it is still, Bo would also say, and I believe it, it's still fascinating to watch this attempt to code this perfect store of value. I think even, as you were saying, algorithms can fail, though. There, there's been flash crashes in like trading algorithms in commodities and stuff that have sent prices uh, dropping by millions, I, even in like the normal stock market, not even this new crypto thing. Right. I mean, one of the, in, the article also talked about a, a stable coin that it was like this paired to another one um, that's supposed to find like one to one value that crashed uh, earlier last year. Janet right. Yellen talked about it in her speech and yeah. it went from like one dollar to seventy five or cents and it lost investors two billion dollars in like right. a couple of minutes. Um, but it's still that's I mean, obviously the worst nightmare. It's a bank run, but it's not even anyone's fault that it's running away. Right. Right. Yeah. Anyway, moving on, uh, I want to talk. I want to um, tee up one of the, your articles from this week, Kevin. I thought this was really interesting about, you know, we, everyone talks about customer acquisition and growth of customers, but um, what happens after they've been onboarded? So, why don't you tee it up for us, Kevin? Yeah. So, I met, uh, I met Adam Wesley from the SVP uh, at Digital Onboarding Inc. They basically, um, well, he, the, when we met, the most interesting, interesting thing he had said to me that sort of inspired me to write this whole article is he said, they work with brands that spend millions of dollars to get customers in the door and get digital apps. During the pandemic, everyone did this. 
uh, especially financial institutions. Mm-hmm. And then after spending these millions and millions getting through the sales funnel, getting people to create a new account, put in their, like, open a credit card, open a debit card, within a year, 25 to 50% of those new customers are gone. They either go inactive or they just walk out the door because uh, so much infrastructure is built around getting the sale, but not keeping the customer there. And he says the easiest way as part of, I mean, as part of his business pitch, really, the easiest way to lower costs is by internally supporting your own customers you already have more mm-hmm. you can if you can cut 30 percent loss into 15 percent, that's like a double uh i don't know it was very interesting and cool talk to realize I, when he said that status like i have to write about this that's fascinating because mm-hmm. we we work with people that probably deal with this problem every day yeah it's all about customer acquisition versus you know i think what's the um the facebook term like monthly active users like yeah you want to take them, then cross-sell them a new product from you, re-underwrite them in a year and say, hey, your mortgage is due for a refinance, market rates are this, you're pre-approved for this. Like, you know, there's some of that going on, but probably not nearly enough. Um, and I think, you know, highlighting it just underscores the fact that there's still a long way to go uh, in a lot of financial products. Yeah, yeah, very. And good data is only getting more voluminous and and more intricate, and so I think that this trend will will hopefully start to shift. Yep. Okay, we're going to close with the last the last article um, from Ron Shevlin, our good friend, who's been on the show several times. He, he took issue with some um, some comments that Senator um, Sherrod Brown had, and uh, the, the, some of these were it was not a very smart things to say, like talk about neo against that uh, that um have the hidden fees so uh, i appreciated ron's um basically taking him on saying you were wrong i mean some of this is not even that difficult to to break down you know look at any neo bank go in the fine print they'll tell you exactly who they're working with yep it, you know th- these companies aren't trying to hide the fact they work with celtic bank or cross river bank or web bank or whoever bank sunrise banks um, and you know, if something's FDIC insured, it's FDIC insured. Uh, and it, it just it goes to the point we've talked about many times is that a lot of legislatures look thing look at things through a very simple lens, and they don't try to get the depth, and they need to mm-hmm. because this is simple stuff compared to the crypto web. Yep, and they are a long ways away from trying to fully grasp that. And it's, it's going to take a while to get there. I guess this, I think, I, I think he's referring to a pro publica article that looked at uh, people depositing their stimulus checks into chime um, from last year that is still resurfacing somehow, even though it came out in June. And even then I believed it when it came out and then we thought about it and realized, well, I mean, compare the complaints that chime got to the complaints that bank of America got. And it's basically, it's almost the exact same number per as Shevlin pointed out per million, it's like 103 for Chime, 105 uh, for every, or 150 for Bank of America. Yeah, so Bank of America gets more complaints it's more, than Chime. Yeah. So yeah, it's just easy to bash bash those guys. Anyway, we are out of time. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Todd. Before I go though, Lend It Fintech USA happening in New York next month. Tickets are coming in thick and fast um, right now. So it's going to be uh, the biggest fintech show of the year so far. 
um, make sure you go there, lender.com for, for more details. So with that, thank you everybody for watching or for listening and we'll be back same time next week. See you guys. Adios. Buy Good your night. tickets.